good morning. Welcome to any visitors on the uh, YouTube channel or watching. Nearly Christmas. What are we up to this morning as part of our Christmas unwrap series? Last week we kicked off with our Zoom nativity, Middle Eastern style, kind of. Good job, everyone. This week I'm going to be reading the beginning of Matthew's account of Christmas. A section of the nativity story that is riveting, eye-catching, action-packed, and will keep you glued to your seats in anticipation. So, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. Here goes. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 onwards. Let's read. Here goes. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and Judah his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the, fa uh, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. I think you're getting the picture, aren't you? So let's move on a few generations, shall we? Elhud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. Whoop! The husband of Mary. We're actually there now. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Ding dong! Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wasn't that just the best start of the Christmas story you've ever heard? I hope I haven't spoiled your Christmas dinner already. Maybe Boris and the medics did that for you yesterday, though. Never mind. So that was, hear this, the shortened version of Matthew's, one of Jesus' close disciples, one once a Jewish sellout, hated extortionist in real life, made church pastor. This is his introduction to the Christmas story. And the actual version contains 46 names of people and 50 generations in what's called the gene genealogy of Jesus. This is actually a picture of a stained glass version of it in the Basilica of St. Denis. Notice my French accent. Now, I know what you're thinking. Raj, I want stars and sheep and mangers and gold, myrrh and Frankenstein and Brussels sprouts. Not a list of boring names. If I wanted the Jerusalem phone book for, from Santa Claus this year, I'd have told you. But listen, hang in there. This list of names in Matthew's opening to the Christmas story is dynamite. Let me explain. So this genealogy is a kind of family tree, but it's also more than that. Advent, these days before Christmas Day, are not just about a special birth. 
but about a coming, a great expectation. This list brings that to our attention, doesn't it? Shadow, our dog, spends quite a bit of time in our back garden. And around the whole of our garden is a tall hedge. And although I can see over the hedge from where she lives more closer to the floor, just about, um, she can't see over the hedge at all. She often sniffs or hears something over there. A pheasant, a rabbit, some sort of presence. But she doesn't know. She can't see. She just senses. Every day, 70,000 times a day to be more accurate, a heart stops beating, a pair of lungs stop breathing, and the hedge that separates us from over there ceases to be reality. As the world-renowned theologian Woody Allen once said, it's not that I'm scared of death or anything, I just don't want to be there when it happens. If anyone could figure out a way to come back from over there and give us a description of the of, of what is on the other side, they'd be minted, wouldn't they? Some people are convinced that there is nothing behind the hedge, that our backyard is all there is. That might be you, actually, but the whispers and the rumours of a presence beyond the hedge, something, someone, is curiously stubborn. And so we wait, and we wonder, and we cross our fingers, and some of us hope. And these names in Matthew's genealogy are pointing to this something, this someone. In fact, the lives and stories of these Old Testament characters, we, we see evidence of that presence breaking in, breaking out, breaking through the hedge into their backyard. A miracle here, a promise there, a victory, a sign, an encounter. Karen Maines writes about a, a Sunday school teacher who wonders if her class underst understands the gospel. So she asked them a question. If I sold my house and car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, her pupil shouted out. If I clean the church every day, mowed the grass and kept everything neat and tidy. Would that get me into heaven, kids? No, miss, once again came the reply. Well, if I was kind to animals and gave sweets and chocolates to all the children and loved my husband, would that get me into heaven? Nope. Well, then, she asked them all, how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old boy shouted enthusiastically, Miss, you've got to be dead! But one day at Christmas, a baby was born, who although grew up to look just like any other man, entered the world stage with a breathtaking claim. He said he had come from the other side of the hedge to be with us in our backyard. He said no one has to be alone anymore. No one has to live in fear anymore. He said a new kind of life, life with God, is now available to anyone who wants it. Christmas, folks, is telling us that the hedge breaker has come. You don't got to be dead anymore to experience him. Jesus, the hedge breaker himself, said in John 14, 8, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Listen, this Christmas, 
baby has broken in. Not an up there, out there, far away God anymore, but rather God with us. Or more personally, God with you, God with me. The hedge breaker. Wow. But what else does this list actually tell us? <clears throat> well, it tells us that he's the upside down king. The other thing about genealogies in Jesus' time was they were a way of bigging you up. A way of saying how important you were. Today we wouldn't cite family trees to do that, of course. We would give people a list of our degrees and trophies, our work experience. How much charity we give, maybe. How much dosh we have, possibly. <coughs> Working out in the gym, maybe. The best Christmas jumper competition. Hairstyles, excluding me, of course, and so on. But the culture into which Matthew writes was all about family. Your clan, your tribe, was how you declared to the world, this is who I am. This is still the case with many cultures today, especially in our multi-ethnic church. My um, granddad was a young man who was brought up in the same Indian village as Khudiram Bosch. Shahid Khudiram Bosch was one of the first revolutionaries to rise up against British oppression in India in the early 1900s. And from that same village, Mednipur, my granddad, Funny Bhushan Kundu, was one of his revolutionary disciples. He saw many of his friends and colleagues executed in the prison he himself resided in for seven years. He'd be on my list. He'd be in my genealogy. Why? Because we want to highlight our heroes, don't we? Certainly that, that's what the people in Jesus' time would have done. The naughty villain of the Christmas story, you know him. King Herod, Herod the Great, blotted out loads of people from his genealogy just to make him look better than he really was. But phenomenally, here Matthew turns all that upside down. He does the exact opposite. This genealogy is shockingly unlike other ancient documents. To begin with, there are five women listed in the genealogy. All mothers of Jesus. Tamar, Ruth, Bathsheba, Raya's wife, Rahab and Mary. In this ancient patriarchal society that, that, that didn't value women compared to men. These women were never mentioned in lists, let alone five of them. Worse than that, some of these women were Gentiles, racial outsiders from the family of God, unheard of in the ancient family trees. Some of these names, both men and women, would have horrified readers, recalling some of the most sordid, nasty and immoral incidents in Jesus's, the Messiah's family. Stories of incest and deceit and violence and injustice and rape and prostitution and murder and adultery and illegitimacy. A bit like the Christmas version of EastEnders, but worse. The Bible isn't so much about great people, but rather a great God who chooses imperfect and messed up people like you and me. Listen, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your past, however deep the scars go, whether you see yourself as a king like David, important, or a down and out like Rahab, there is hope. The promise of unconditional love, forgiveness, transformation and renewal in the name of this Christmas baby. 
As one writer put it, if God has pledged himself to you, he isn't letting you go. No matter what you do, Israel couldn't outsin the promises of God and neither can you. God is not ashamed of you. You're not his mistake. He loves you just as you are. So what else do we have from this amazing list? Because we've seen he's the hedge breaker. God with you and me. He's the upside down king. Welcoming with love the outsiders, the scarred, the kings and the unlikelies like you and me. But there's more. He's also the Time Lord, but not Doctor Who. This list reminds us that the promise of a Messiah took generations to be fulfilled. Our waiting is not wasted. Like Gandalf in the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie, he is never late, nor is he early. He always arrives precisely when he means to. A bit like God. Remember how your mum used to say, you can't open your presents, Raj, till Christmas. They'd all be around the Christmas tree, of course, enticing wrapping, different sizes and shapes, crying out to be unwrapped and enjoyed. But mum says, no, you've got to wait till Christmas. What does that do to the gift? What does that do to you in the waiting? It magnifies the whole experience, doesn't it? It glorifies the gift giver. Those of you who have been Christians for more than a few years know about God, about that and God, don't you? As Sean declared the other day, after years in and out of prison, God turned his life around. As Jody said recently, despite what seemed like a very complicated, broken family and university experience, um, for years that she experienced that, God welcomed her eventually as his cherished daughter. As Ahmed has shared with us in the midst of persecution in Iran and, a and an oppressive former religious environment, God welcomed him into the church family and is now releasing him into all the creativity that God has put in him through his art degree. As Chris shared with us not long ago how God took him, from, took him out from just going through the motions of the Christian faith to a dynamic, purposeful, life-transforming, worshipping, joy-releasing experience of a living God. As Deborah told us in the last few weeks too, while in the midst of years of poor mobility and deteriorating mental health, God came with healing and provision and family. But it all takes time. It takes time, God's time. But this list tells us whatever it looks like, however many unusual angles life might take, even when it doesn't make sense or seems absolutely impossible, God's plan is certain and unstoppable. What are you waiting for? What do you want God to put right? What would you ask of him today? Because whatever it is, waiting on God is never wasted in God. Advent points us confidently to the time when Jesus will return and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This Christmas baby brings certain hope. He's the hedge breaker. He's the upside down king. He's the time lord. But finally, he's in a compassionate God. See what it says at the end of this genealogy? 
Matthew 1.17, he says, There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, and 14 from exile to Christ. Yawn, yawn, yawn. Not at all. For all you budding mathematicians out there, that means there have been six sevens of generations, which means Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven. Matthew, a Jew himself, knew how jaw-dropping this number will have been to his readers. Seven sevens, or the start of the 50th year, was called Jubilee, our very name. The Queen nicked it not so long ago for her Jubilee celebration. But it comes from the Jewish tradition. Every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, God's people would set all their servants free. They would cancel all the debts that were owed to them. They would give back all the land that they had acquired through poor crops, poor judgment, poor fortune. It was God's way of saying, I do not want permanent poverty, inequality, division and injustice and greed in my land. I am the God of compassion. And in Christ's jubilee, so are you. I love how we serve the poor and the marginalised and those with difficult backgrounds through many of our projects. Well done to everyone who gets involved in that. In closing, before we sing our last carol, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. For some of you, however, you're thinking this might be the worst Christmas ever, particularly after the announcement yesterday. But let me tell you, today, now, could be the best Christmas you've ever had. Jesus loves you. He's come through the hedge for you. His timing is perfect today and now, even if you're watching on YouTube. So before we end in, with a carol, I want to give you the opportunity, the chance to welcome this Christmas baby into your life. Not just as a fairy tale, but as a life changer. We see, we see this, that happening in many people every year. Jesus in the midst uh, of terrible circumstances in my life, my brother killing himself, in the midst of my mum dying of breast cancer, in the midst of depression and drugs and drunkenness, this God broke in for me and he can break in for you. So I'm going to pray a short prayer to help you start that journey if you want to. Let's pray it together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I come to you today and say I am sorry. I'm truly sorry for the life so far that I've led, dishonouring you, disregarding you and disobeying you. A life that has put you on a bookshelf somewhere to gather dust. Or worse still, a life that has so far thrown you out with the Christmas trash. Lord, today I want to change that. Today I want to come to you as my rescuer. My jubilee joybringer, the one who makes all my sadness and my incompleteness whole again. The one who heals my scars. Lord, I trust that you died on the cross for me to remove that hedge. No distance anymore. United, a friend of God. The great exchange that destroys sin without destroying me. A new freedom to adventure and fellowship with you. Today, Jesus, I want to say yes to all that. I say yes to you and say a big yes to a forever with God. Thank you that you welcome me with open arms. Jesus, I love you. Amen.
If you've prayed that prayer, if you've become a Christian today on YouTube or on Facebook, we would love to hear from you and support you and celebrate you. So let us know. And also, if you want to know more, join us on our next Alpha Sessions in the new year, starting the beginning of February. Thanks so much for listening. And to everyone, have a great Christmas and a joyful new year.